Hello everyone, I'm Al Del Deegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators and Big Ideas podcast. We're supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. This episode is hosted by April Dijon. April is a serial entrepreneur, a trait she received from her parents who owned a furniture store in Edmonton that she worked at growing up. That experience set the tone for her business life. Do it all, do it well. After working in international trade and economic development, April left that career to start a family and work alongside her husband in their award-winning residential design firm, Dijon Design Associates. Over the past year, April started a real estate team with another realtor who comes from a design background as well. For most people, that would be enough. But April also owns and operates a vintage clothing pop-up shop with two of her friends, and she has a boutique graphic design studio. April is now helping her kids launch their own businesses. You're about to listen to April's conversation with Rick Weisseborn. Take it away, April. Did you know that there are over 5 million patents currently in force worldwide? More than 1 million new patent applications are made each year. I'm sitting here today with Rick Weissenborn of Tools for Boards. He is working on his 28th patent. Rick, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Rick, what got you into uh, becoming an inventor and an innovator? So initially, growing up, I was a ski racer. And um, I realized in the late 80s, ski constructions had fundamentally changed. So up until that point, typically skis, uh, if you took a cross section of a ski, it was shaped like a rectangle. Mm -hmm. And they were very easy to hold using conventional woodworking clamps uh, for preparation and maintenance. And ski racing, we we used to prepare our skis all the time and apply wax and sharpen the edges. Uh, And... I found that that was becoming more difficult because uh, skis had changed. They were uh, being injection molded, the, the tops, and they were they were rounded instead of square. So they didn't fit in these um, woodworking clamps uh, very well, and they kept they kept popping out. So I developed a product that used the binding as a means to hold the ski to the workbench in order to facilitate waxing and sharpening of edges and um and that type of work and so that's that's really where it all started and um and it progressed uh i actually developed the invention uh patented it uh initially i sold it in japan which was interesting japan at that time was the largest market for ski equipment in the world as a country it was larger than the u.s uh, so I hopped on a plane when I was 18 years old and flew over to Japan and kind of had no idea what I was doing. It was a little scary, uh, but I managed to find a distributor there uh, who agreed to purchase the product before we made it. And uh, so I came back with a purchase order back to Calgary and uh, and uh, then then uh, you know decided how we would produce it and how we would actually... Um, get it made so that I could, I could fulfill the purchase order. Uh, so I worked on that, managed to get that done, uh, and sell the product, uh, to the distributor in Japan. The distributor, uh, there was, um, actually 
the, the Japanese distributor of a Hong Kong-based trading house called Jardine Matheson, which was one of the original Hongs, which is interesting in the history of Hong Kong, for instance, and the Opium Wars. That's uh, one of the initial companies. It was Scottish-based that moved in to um, to develop Hong Kong or as a as a as a British colony. So, so there's there's a lot of history there. Um, the the Japanese distributor was also the uh, the, the Norwegian uh, company's distributor in Japan called Swix, which is uh, the one of the oldest wax companies in the world and the first ski wax company to color code wax. And so they uh, uh, the Japanese uh, introduced me to to Swix and their management. And from there, my product was picked up on a global basis and sold globally. So I had I had quite a bit of initial success with my first invention, which inspired me to develop more products that um, several more, about a total seven products that I sold through Swix over a 17 year period. So I developed these products, I'd patent them, I'd actually produce them and then uh, package them in, in Swix packaging and sell them uh, uh, directly to Swix distributors in, in different countries globally. Uh, so that's where I got my start. And um, from there, uh, I, uh, I started working with Burton Snowboards uh, when, when snowboarding became big. I was attending trade shows actually in the late 80s. Uh, one show in particular, the SIA show in Las Vegas, was a ski show. And it was really interesting because a lot of these ski guys were all dressed in suits and they had ties. And then in the late 80s, uh, the snowboard uh, element, culture. <laughs> cult, cult, culture kicked in. And, uh, and there was all these like guys, they actually pulled a bus into the trade show and it was completely chaotic and everyone was, all these people were drinking and uh, they were actually shooting up on this bus. They had to shut it down. Oh my God. The, the convention center had to shut the... Uh, the snowboard side of the hall down because yeah. because it was completely out of control. Too big of a party. Too big of a party. So, but, but that that actually kind of uh, made the ski guys lighten up a bit, and they started wearing kind of uh, you know sh shirts, uh, t-shirts, and, and jeans as opposed to as opposed to suits. So there's been a lot of transformational change in 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 uh, snow sports generally. Um, so yeah, it was it was it was fun to be a part of it. Oh, very fascinating. Um, so you're working on your 28 patents. So I'm assuming is that all new products, or would you say uh, reiterations of original ones? I guess uh, my question would go from invention to innovation. Yes, yeah. So so both. So so in in some respects, uh, they they've been kind of improvements, incremental improvements on existing products. Okay. And in in other cases, the 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 more exciting ones have been completely new innovations. And so, uh, yeah, so, so it's, it's about balancing actually the business case for developing products, uh, with, you know, uh, with finding, uh, a market for them as opposed to, um, what's referred to as, as, uh, uh, blue sky development or that, the type of yeah. development that's, that, that's pure, mm -hmm. uh, Pure development and, and coming up, just experimenting with things and coming up with, with a great idea, uh, that. That has really there's no purpose to it. It's it's more of a exploration. That, that that's that's really the the most fun. We were chatting earlier about the difference between innovation and invention. And uh, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, they're 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 closely related. Um, innovation um, is is 
uh, invention is 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 necessary in order to innovate. Um, but there are different types of incremental uh, innovation, uh, incremental in invention, or I guess improving a product incrementally as opposed to fundamentally innovating. And okay. I guess if you look um, at the history of the world, um, almost everything's been done. It's just the way that you recombine or or, or um, put ideas together in different ways that are novel or unique. So uh, that that's the inventive process. And um, so it, it's, uh, it's really quite messy, actually. It's not something that there's a lot of there's a lot of textbooks that illustrate how you can incrementally innovate. Um, and in my experience, that really hasn't happened. It, it, it's more kind of, you know, rolling up your sleeves and, and experimenting and finding different ways to do things. And once you've done that, that leads to other ideas. And, and then you're kind of relying on the things you've, you've already learned, mm -hmm. Uh, maybe more subconsciously, but you start to kind of put things together, and then and then and then there's these moments where all of a sudden you you recognize something really spectacular. Yeah, so it's not as formulaic as the uh, is you know when you're reading articles about it. There's sort of like the six step process, the three step process. This is more like a creative process. So three in the morning, you wake up with your crazy idea, and and uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's, it's it's interesting actually. I find that I do wake up uh, in the middle of the night. And and have actually a you know an epiphany, or 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 uh, yeah, or after uh, normally it's 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 doing kind of mundane tasks. I don't know, going mm -hmm. for a walk, that type of thing, where where you can clear your head and, and and subconsciously kind of put things together, and and that that that's that's really that's really the fun part of the whole process. And there's other parts where where you're working intensely trying to try, trying to um, come up with a solution and it just doesn't happen. And it's very frustrating. It can be frustrating. And typically, as an inventor, you're really you're really passionate about pursuing something, um, at, at almost at the expense of everything else. So you're intensely focused on on on, on a result, and not not being able to quite get there is, is frustrating. But it, it also drives you to to kind of push through and and eventually find a solution. So um, when you get to that point. Uh how successful uh, would an inventor be to now take that product to market on their own? Or uh, at what point could they decide that they would need to pull in a team of, of people or other experts? It's just, you hear so many stories of these patents that just sort of sit on shelves and nothing gets done with the product. And I'm wondering if that's a, is that a result of not um, having access to either funding or is that a result also of maybe the, the inventor just wants to stay in that mode of, of, I guess creating and solving the problem, but now they want to hand it over to somebody else, but they don't know how to or how to bring that in. Or yeah, so so in, in, inventors in, in many respects kind of they they can also get in their their own way in terms of in terms of taking a product to market. And there's a there's a big difference between being an inventor and actually being a good business person. And so I, what I found is is it, it it's difficult to to be both. Um, I've had to really work at the business part of it because, um, uh, to me, inventing is really fun. I mean, it's not really work. So, so it's something that I'm doing all the time and then to, to apply that to a, a, a business and, and make it viable. In other words, you have to sell your invention, you have to commercialize it and you have to sell it and you have to make money selling it in order to stay in business. And if you don't stay in business, then you can't afford to patent things and, and do all the fun stuff. So. 
so that that that's that's part of it the other <clears throat> the other uh part is i tend to work with a group of, of people on the development of products which i find helpful uh, uh particularly industrial designers so I tend to conceptualize something and then um, I'll actually start writing a patent before we start working on the actual CAD design or um, refinement of, of, of the product. And once I have it, um, uh, you know, uh, the, the concept kind of uh, uh, firmed up and able to, to, to really uh, write, you know, the, the, the the fundamental parts of a patent, then I find that it's easier to take that and work with a, with, with a team. And actually you have to kind of check your ego at the door when you're doing that. Um, I, I know I've been working with uh, one industrial designer in particular, Sally uh, Diener for, for, for several years. And, um, so we work great together, but we challenge each other and, and you have to, you have to be open to new ideas. So typically as an inventor, you kind of have, you know, you may have a, uh, an idea about how something works and, uh, and you really, really hold to that belief and you have to consciously, um, kind of take a step back. Maybe if, 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 um, if, if Sally was to present different ideas to me that maybe actually it, it might make the product better or it might make the, 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 you know, it could be a material, uh, uh, thing where where a different material would work better uh, when you have some pretty um, you know strong beliefs about about what should be used uh, and and then you have to step back and actually actually maybe uh, reconsider and I found that 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 collaborative process is is really fundamentally important in the innovate in the in the innovative process because um, it, it can create a better outcome so just getting pushback from people that they're confident that they can be honest with you and you're comfortable letting them and yeah, yeah. probably took a few years to develop that to or to be aware to realize that uh, the self-awareness and that it's time to bring in other people Is it yeah i i think in, in many respects that's maturity because mm -hmm. because you're at a point where um where you're not um uh where where, where you're you're secure enough in your own beliefs that you can actually you actually do that and listen to people because because the the older I get the the, the more I find I don't really know as much as I, I thought I did when I was younger <laughs> and uh, yeah the, the less you know the the more you you know collaboration is valuable so exactly uh, what are your thoughts around uh, when you're making a prototype with a new technology with 3D printers etc does that uh, make it easier for people um, absolutely yeah so so we're working on a project uh, actually uh, right now that involves that is 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 fundamentally different from anything that, that that's been done before and we're not sure that it will work um the the great thing is that is that there's there's 3d printing so that we can actually we can actually print a model and we can test it there's interacting parts and we need to know if if they'll they'll snap together uh properly and then and then can be unsnapped for instance so uh so in the past when i first started um we you know we were using drafting boards i mean like the fax machine had just been invented wow. so, so we were working on contracts and sending things back and forth to japan we couldn't we, we we had to courier things by fedex because 
uh, these, these documents because we couldn't we couldn't fax them. But the, the advent of the fax, which is, so I'm, I'm kind of dating myself, <laughs> kind of dating myself, uh, uh, April. But but um, but you know, uh, subsequently, uh, 3D printing um, was invented, and 10, 15 years ago, it was very expensive. So we used to 3D print things for several thousand dollars, you know, maybe four or five thousand dollars for a prototype. Uh, to 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 verify that um, that the that the parts were uh, would work and that we could go to tooling because tooling is very expensive. So typically, uh, we produce a lot of our parts are made using injection molding, plastic components, die cast components. So through a casting process, aluminum, um, Zamac, that type of material, uh, or or extruded. Um, so we we um, we have aluminum extrusions that we use frequently, and all all of these pro processes require tooling, which is very expensive. And so, if you go to tooling before understanding if the product works or not, it's risky. And um, and if it doesn't work, you you basically lost your investment. So uh, so three D printing is is it has fundamentally really changed the game in that respect. And it's and you're able to to prototype uh, something that's very close to the actual um, uh, production component and you know right away whether it works or not so yeah so so yeah that, that that's been that, that's really it, it's 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 we're on the verge of a re revolution i think in terms of mass production and and uh, 3d printing is is uh is one of the really promising technologies that'll allow us to uh to make things and not have to um not have to buy stuff uh, you know from asia or, or subcontract production there when it's possible to actually just send somebody a file and they can print it out and they can have the product that you conceived, um, you know, in their in their living room. Um, I noticed that you also have uh, you sell through Amazon, and uh, tell us about that. Yeah, so so Am Amazon, uh, it was really really interesting. We've we've been working with them for uh, at least a dozen years, probably twelve or thirteen years now, and they initially approached us at a trade show uh, in the United States and that was at a time when they were just diversifying away from books so they uh, or beyond books so they started uh, as uh, you know as a bookseller and um, and one of their first divisions was called sports and outdoors and so uh, one of their buyers showed up at, at our booth and said that they were really interested in and buying our stuff and selling it on Amazon, and and so I really didn't know much about Amazon. I was going to say, did you realize what a big deal that would become? <laughs> no, no, but it, it it's growing significantly, wow. and and now they're they're actually our largest customer. Um, so so working with them has has been great, and um and it it's it's really driven the the digital part of our of our um our retail business, and um so they're <clears throat> it's it, it's it's an innovative company. And they're always interested in new products, and they encourage us to to always um, actually uh, always upload our, our 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 complete catalog, and we're always developing new products, and they, and they embrace them. So, so that that, that that's really um, a fundamental technological change. They're one of they're, they they are actually the most sophisticated retailer in the world. So we understand in real time how many products, uh, how many items we're selling, and in what quantities. And we tend to get orders frequently from them, just in time. And um, so, but, but we're fortunate that we sell to them directly. So, 
so they buy our products outright and then and then we we direct ship their their distribution centers i've got so uh, actually several hundred in the states we work with uh with amazon in in england um in the uk and and in other european countries and um, also in australia so so that's yeah that that's um that's actually been been a very interesting uh company to watch over 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 the years wow that's a nice alberta story you're uh quite global <laughs> yeah. global reach <laughs> yeah it's interesting we, we've we found you know the, the, our market is really really quite um small it's kind of a a, a, a subcategory of a subcategory a, a very small niche and in order to be viable we've had to sell into a number of markets globally uh just from a volume standpoint and other, uh, in, in order to justify producing enough parts for instance to be able to put them together cost effectively and then sell them sell them on so um so we've We've actually been a global company from the beginning, you know, through our through through our initial sales in Japan, and then uh, and then through a Norwegian company, and and um, and uh, you know on a global basis. So so that that that's uh, I've always been a globalist, I guess, and always kind of um, thought about things in a global perspective. So yeah, so it's it it, it it's great. How do you stay ahead of the curve? I guess just constant innovating. Uh, we talked about uh, if you if you hadn't. Um then you know there's other people that would be coming in with the next big how do you how do you kind of foresee i guess or do you have a bit of it's an intuitive process now where you go ah, this is where it's going or how do you kind of know to go to that next the next product or if you're just it's a constant it's just a constant journey of innovation or how does that work yeah so so what we found is i mean you, you never know where the next innovation is coming from so you uh you i'm a bit paranoid in that respect and i'm always trying to make things things better and and even kind of at the expense of the stuff I've already developed, and um, uh, that's worked. Uh, product life cycles, the, you know, the, the the amount of time that you you can sell a product, uh, the 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 life cycle of a product is, has been condensed quite dramatically as things get more and more competitive. I found, and so um, so I'm always I'm always attempting to innovate. I'm not always successful innovating, but I'm always attempting to innovate, and I'm always inventing. And uh, that I found is the only thing that really keeps you competitive. So if you want to be competitive in in you know um, in the short, even the the medium term, um, it's it's imperative to to keep developing relevant products that are more efficient and make things better and make the user experience better, that type of thing. And if you don't do that, um, you're dead. Basically, your business is, you know, it may not, it, it may not um, go away immediately, but uh, but failure to do that over the medium to long term, for sure, you're not going to be in business very, uh, you know, uh, 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 going forward. So, very, very critical to to innovate and invent and constantly develop new products. And not all products are going to be successful, um, even if you think they are. We have examples in the bicycle market where I had this great product and i thought that it was it was uh, <clears throat> it, would, it would be really well received by the market uh so we we invested heavily in it we we launched the product we, we got some some initial feedback from from uh, from uh, uh, uh publications for instance we submitted it to to uh to uh to people at magazines uh, one in particular in the uk thought it was great did a write-up on it and it got you know four and a half out of five stars and so we launched this product to great fanfare and, and sold it into Mountain Equipment Co-op in Canada and a few other places and and realized that um that that 
technically and mechanically, the, the product was great, but the use case, um, I mean, specifically, it was a holder for, for, for bicycles to mount on any uh, picnic bench or workbench, and it was kind of a compact version of a, of a, a repair stand. And we thought it was going to do really, really well. And, and uh, so we launched this. And then we found that about 75% of the work that's done on a repair span, stand is cleaning the bicycle, is actually washing it and cleaning it. And people don't want to do that on a countertop or on a, on a bench. And so they prefer to use a freestanding um, arrangement where they take it out and, you know, in, in, uh, maybe on their front lawn or, or on the sidewalk and they, they can wash their bike that way and all the grime, you know, it just, it just uh, washes away. And it doesn't end up on their countertop. So, so, um, so that there's an example of something that you know thought for sure was going to be really successful, and it wasn't. Um, and I think you have to. It, it makes you more humble. Yeah, when that happens <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Do you still have any bike stands? Are you still in that market at all, or not? Yeah, yeah, we are. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I, I haven't abandoned that. I've actually used a lot of the technology that we developed, and and uh, we're we're launching a new version of a of a repair stand for skis and snowboards. Okay. that we're also making compatible with bikes. So, so downhill skis and cross-country. Downhill, cross-country, snowboards, okay. and also bicycles. Okay. And uh, this, this stand has four legs, and you can uh, it folds. It's about 11 pounds. It's very lightweight. It folds, it collapses, and you can take it anywhere. And, um, and we're hoping that people will take it on their lawns or on their sidewalk. And, uh, and with, with, a, with a bike adapter, it'll, it'll accommodate all bikes, uh, mountain bikes, as well as road bikes. So that's, uh, yeah, so, so it's, it's a process and it's something I, I don't give up on ideas if, if I think that they're, um, you know, if, if they're innovative, uh, I, I try and somehow keep working on them and find different ways to, um, to commercialize them. I remember our, our uh, children's art teacher used to say, there's no mistakes in art, just discoveries. And I'm feeling like it's applying here. You you know you just uh, you can't go back and and you know wish that you would have done something different from the get go. It's it's just constant discoveries. It's innovations constantly. You know, 28 patents later, you're you're constantly discovering new things and new. Yeah. You know, you can't go back. If there's ever one that you, oh, why do we bother doing that? It, it wasn't about that. It's about the. Uh, go to the next one you're always looking forward or at the horizon it sounds yeah it, it is funny and it's actually a process um where where your experience is actually valuable so um so you know you patent one thing and you have an idea that actually leads to something else and then you, you realize that that idea is relevant in another place and and so eventually you have this catalog of all of these ideas in your brain and, and, and you can apply them to different things and you become better at what you do. And I think a lot of inventors, it takes them a long time to actually be successful. There's so many things that are, that are roadblocks and um, things that per, prevent you from actually uh, becoming successful. And, um, and perseverance is, is a really, really fundamental requirement and you have to be tenacious and you can't take no for an answer and but it, but over the long term yeah you you, you develop all these products and, and it's constant it's constant exploration and constant um um yeah it, it, it it's uh growth you know but it um it doesn't happen overnight excellent um was there anything else you wanted to add is there anything you have any advice for uh young 
I guess, young innovators and young entrepreneurs? Anything that you would suggest or recommend? Or yeah, yeah. I I, I think to to be to be really curious and passionate about what you're doing is is fundamentally. Um, it, in order to be successful, I think you have to really um, be passionate about what you're doing. And so, if you're really passionate about um, designing things and inventing things, and and um, um, uh, really inquisitive by nature i think that's that's probably you know it, it it's it's an interesting life it's not for everyone and and there's a lot of risk involved as well so you have to um try and try and hedge your your risk as much as possible so you don't go out on a limb and then for instance you're unable to continue on because you've invested all your money in, in an idea and, and maybe maybe the idea is not successful so so it's always good to have, um, you know, a backup plan and, <laughs> and maybe, you know, um, yeah, university education and that type of thing is, is, is always very valuable. And it can be, it can be applied to, to inventing as well. You know, there's, there's, there's different, um, there's, there's fundamentally different, um, different professions that are based on invention, you know, patent attorneys and so forth. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I but I encourage people to, to explore it because, because, you know, people that are inventors and innovators are, are, are the ones that change the world. Tell us, why do people innovate? So I, I, I tend to take a, um, kind of a big picture perspective on innovation. And, um, fundamentally, uh, if you look at the history of mankind, uh, we're very creative people. We, we, we tend to actually innovate our ways out of a lot of problems. And um, I think that innovation is really fundamentally uh, important if the human race is to su survive, actually, because because we've developed all this stuff. We've got internal combustion engines, and, and you know that are creating problems and different different challenges and and overpopulation and um, and environmental concerns and and um, fundamentally. Uh, humans have always been able to innovate their way out of problems. And um, so I'm optimistic because uh, if you're not optimistic, then there's really not, not a, lot of, um, <laughs> a lot of reason to live, actually, when you look at a lot of how, you know, how large, these, the large, large these problems really are. But um, I, I'm really optimistic that we can innovate our way out of anything. You're so. hopeful. That's great. And uh, tell us... Um, Rick, as a business, an innovative uh, business, um, how do, uh, say, your lawyer or your accountant, uh, when you're getting advice, uh, business advice, how do they, how do they deal with you? Uh, <laughs> I mean, they, they're, they're, it's a, you know, there's such a linear way of thinking, and then we've, you know, we've got someone that's, uh, that your, your bottom line is not about the bottom line, but it's about the solution and solving problems and constantly, sol you know, solving issues and, and that's what excites you. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just a totally different mindset. And I'm just curious how, how does one, I guess, uh, reconcile that? Yeah. So fu fundamentally, uh, the, 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 I, I've got a lot of advice in, in the past and a lot of the, um, the accountants and, um, investment bankers and <laughs> others who have advised me on things think I'm completely eccentric and crazy. And that I, uh, I've, I've actually been told that I, I, I should stop innovating, stop inventing things, uh, and just focus on, on, on the things that I have, um, in, you know, in order to maximize the, the profitability of the business. And, 
And uh, in hindsight, that's been uh, fundamentally the wrong advice and kind of a prescription for failure um, because uh, uh, because we've we've invented new products and innovated uh, on an ongoing basis, we've actually been successful. And, and uh, so um, so yeah, there's a there's a fundamental disconnect uh, between between the, um, the business advice that I've gotten and the actual um, reality of, of, of inventing and innovating. So I, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll just, um, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll stop there. <laughs> well, uh, and, and, if you, and if you did stop, uh, you wouldn't be the 2018 recipient of a Red Dot Award. And I don't know if all of our listeners know what the prestigious Red Dot Award uh, is. Could you explain that and, and maybe... Uh, who some of your um, some of the past recipients uh, were? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so this it's one of the things I'm most proud of. Uh, so, the Red Dot is one of the three top design awards in the world. Um, actually, widely considered the top design award in the world. It, it's a German design competition that started in 1957, um, kind of after after the the Second World War when when the country was rebuilding, and it was a way to to encourage design uh, in Germany, and it, it's um, it's uh, gone on to be a, a very prestigious um, award to win. And so um, we developed a line of tools actually last year uh, with an innovative concept, and um, and uh, I submitted it on a whim. I, I thought, well, um, it's great. It, we we we'd won an award at a at a trade show in Germany for 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 this product. Be- uh, prior to the um, application deadline for Red Dot, and I thought it would have uh, a pretty good chance of hopefully of succeeding. And so, so on a whim, I, I submitted it, and and we actually, yeah, we actually won. And um, so, uh, so uh, my wife and and kids and I, uh, you know, I got on a plane and went over to Essen, where where this award is based, to to uh, to accept it. And and, it, and there was a, um, a gala event with all these like minded extremely innovative creative people and and it was uh yeah it was it was it was really really a great experience um so in terms of in terms of uh, uh other uh red dot award winners um it it really runs the gamut of 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 the best in design um including everything from the the iphone uh to um to some supercars, uh, McLaren and Ferrari have won it, uh, and and uh, and everything in between. In between, so yeah, very 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 excited and 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 humbled to uh, to be included uh, in in such a such an incredible group. Again, Rick, huge congratulations on the Red Dot Award and the thirty years of uh, success in in uh, being a very forward thinking. A huge Alberta success story, uh, Tools for Boards. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Rick. I really appreciate you coming on the show today. You're welcome. Uh, Yeah, glad to do it. Thank you. Take care. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-source, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social-barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. 
This podcast was made possible by a generous contribution from Zinc Ventures and is hosted by volunteers from Rainforest Alberta. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.